Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Well, it's great to be here and uh, really do just so love this church, so believe in what is the vision of your pastors at this church and their heart. I just so love it. It's good to be with Chris, too. Chris, my guy right here, we share this everywhere, but Chris is, uh, I've known, when I first started youth ministry, Chris was in junior high. He was like 12. Chris was in my wedding when he was 14 years old, in my wedding, and literally he looks and weighs the exact same. <laughs> you saw him up there today. You want to know what he looked like in, at 14? Pretty much that right there. It's, I don't, it's, it's the weirdest non-aging moment ever. I look a lot different, he doesn't. But uh, So we've been running together for a long time now. It's kind of crazy to think, quite the journey. So it is good to be here, though, tonight, and so many friends that we see. I, uh, I'm going to take a few minutes with you. I'm probably just going to pastoral on you. I just have uh, just such a heart uh, for church plants, especially now that we're church planters, but just have such a heart for the local church and just to see the local church impacting regions. At the core of who I am, I want to see revival. I want to see a move of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to see people get saved and culture transformed and the church awakened. And uh, one of the reasons, we just have a huge heart for Orange County. I went to school just for a year, just for a year in Costa Mesa. And then I, I was college dropout. But um, So I went to uh, Vanguard University and really have a heart. Every time we've come down here to Southern California, Orange County, just my heart just really burns. And, and uh, uh, not to get too spiritual right off the bat at church. Am I allowed to do that? But years ago, I actually was in worship down here. It was actually in Pasadena. But, and, and I had a vision of, um, there was like a scroll. It's hard to describe. It was like a scroll that kind of rolled out. And it, 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 was, um, it, was like a, it was like a business contract. And it said, uh, it, said, it, it said, covenant with Southern California for revival. And, uh, and then at the bottom, it, was, it had all these people that, you know, the uh, Chuck Smiths and the John Wimbers and the Catherine Coolmans and the Amos and the McPhersons and, and the, uh, you know, the, the different ones, the Frank Bartlemans and the William Seymours. They had all kind of signed that. And the Lord told me, he said, I have not forgotten about my covenant with Southern California. And, uh, and I believe that. I, I, really, I really do believe that, that I don't think he's forgotten his covenant for revival in this area. And, um, and, and, and as even, even as I'm here tonight, I just, uh, just so remember, there's a book called The World of Flame, which is, if you don't know much about uh, revival history, but The World of Flame is a book written by Rick Joyner about the Welsh Revival. So the Welsh Revival, which happened in 1904, which kind of gave, uh, which really inspired and helped ignite the Azusa Street Revival, which happened down here in L.A., but um, in 1904, the Welsh Revival, and uh, the author's writing about this thing, and he said that he, he was using the example of revival, and he tied it in to, um, to birth pangs and, uh, and, and a baby, to birth pangs and a baby. And he said that uh, two years before, two years before um, revival broke out in Wales, which in like nine months, 100,000 people, these are not like backslidden believers, 100,000 new converts that got saved and were added to churches. This is one of the unique things of the Welsh Revival. 100,000 got saved and added in just a short amount of time, and it sparked a worldwide thing. But two years, starting in 1902, before the Welsh Revival broke out, there were prayer meetings that were popping up all over Wales. They weren't connected to one another, kind of unbeknownst to one another. God was starting to awaken and stir the hearts of people just to gather and pray. 
And Rick Joyner, he ties it into this. He says that, that birth pangs don't create the baby. The baby creates the birth pangs. And in the same way, prayer doesn't create revival. Revival creates prayer. And so, and so one of the reasons why sometimes when I come down here and I think, you know why I'm convinced God is going to do something significant and he is going to pour out his spirit in Southern California? Because you can begin to see strategically who God is sending here and the hunger that he's stirring. We were just, we were just in downtown LA or wherever you're at, San Diego, this whole Southern California region that you begin, there's a, there's a fresh hunger stirring. There's something where people are saying we long for something more and deeper and a move of God's spirit. And God's beginning to send people here. He's beginning to send people here. I mean, I just, uh, my driver literally sent from Seattle five years ago, Chris, just to come down here to be a part of what God's doing here. And God strategically begins to move people, missions me and different things. God begins to move people to an area. And, and, and it's, not what they're, it's not what they're doing that's going to cause revival. It's revival that's causing this. So you're like, well, why are you, uh, like, how can you look and be encouraged about, because the only reason we're hungry, the only reason this church is getting planted, the only reason God is stirring stuff is because there's a baby coming. And it's actually that baby that's causing this. It's a baby that stirs the heart of the Francis to say, hey, let's leave the warm climate of Boise and go all the way down to, like, you know, like, who would do that? Who would leave... Boise to move to an ocean city. That's real sacrifice. That's just real. It's just missionary. It's just full on missionary. I mean, I am inspired by the level of the sacrifice to move down here. So I, uh, I'm going to give you a simple word tonight, something practical. If you've been around me, you've probably heard me speak about this stuff quite a bit. I, I have a few things that I really love to talk about. But one of the things I just want to... Um, Again, not everybody's from this church, so forgive me. I want to talk a little bit. Whatever church you're from, you'll get this. But many times I feel like it's important as believers and, and those who have a real heart for God to move, those who have a real heart for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for, for revival, for things like that, it's important that we're not just excited but that we're strategic and intentional. And I would say both probably in charismatic circles, but also in just young adult. I know not everybody in here is young adult, but in some of that young adult circles, there's definitely people that are excited, but I don't always see intentionality or strategy attached to it. And, and um, you know, the illustration we would use is my son, who he's 13 years old. He is, I have three kids, 19, 16, 13. And my 13-year-old my son is hands down the most competitive person I have ever met in my life. He's so competitive. Everything is a game, and there is a winner and a loser, and if he doesn't win, he's cheating to win. Like, he's figuring out some way. Every time I play him in a game, like in one-on-one or something, I'll beat him. He'll be like, oh, all right, Dad, listen, this one shot. If I make this one shot, I win. I'm like, you just lost by 10, but he's just trying to figure out, you know? So, so um, and everything's, everything's competition. He's in school. He was in second grade, and his teachers, we had a little parent teacher. They said, hey, man, Lake's such a good kid. We really love him. He's just constantly trying to be the first one done. Like him and this other kid are racing to be the first one done. And I'm like, I don't really see the problem with what you're talking about. Help me, help me understand why this is a problem. And they're like, we're just not sure he's getting the, you know, the right answers. I kid you not, in second grade, I picked him up from school. Maybe it was third grade. I picked him up from school, and I said, uh, hey, you had, a math class. you had a math test today. How'd you do? He goes, I was the first one done. I said, did you get anything right? He goes, I don't know, but I was the first one done. 
I said, right on, son. <laughs> Leapchers win. That's what we do. But, but a few years ago, he was probably seven years old, I, wanted to, uh, um, I found Yahtzee randomly in the, uh, in the drawer. So I was like, I'm going to teach my kids how to play Yahtzee. So I gather all my kids around at the dinner table like three nights in a row. Come on, kids, we're going to play Yahtzee. And so we're playing Yahtzee. And they, you, you ever played Yahtzee? You've got to kind of figure it out. You gotta, there's a strategy involved. You know, you, gotta, you roll something. You've got to figure out what do you want to use and what do you want, not want to use. And you don't want to use Yahtzee too soon because if you use that, then it's wasted and all this stuff. And uh, my son found out that rolling for Yahtzee was the biggest thing you could go for. It's just the biggest thing you could go for. And so every time we'd get to him, we'd be like, what are you going for? He's like, Yahtzee. And I'm like, well, son, I mean, you got to think ahead. you got to be a little strategic. I'm trying to mentor him in the game of Yahtzee. And he'd listen, six, like seven. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, okay. I said, what are you going for? Yahtzee. Every time we went to him, he just yelled Yahtzee and just went for Yahtzee every time. Never won one game. Never won one game. Lost to every game because the only thing he ever went for was Yahtzee. And, and I think sometimes I just want to tell the church, listen, we can walk around and yell revival. We could walk around and yell, you know, be excited about impacting our world. But, and, and I want to keep that, right? But there's got to be a level of strategy and intentionality, not just in church, but in your own personal life. Like, where am I being intentional in my personal life? It's not just enough to be hungry for something. I've got to be intentional about it. I, I've got to actually go after something. I've got to plan my life. I've got to look ahead. And, and this is something that in, in whatever church you're in or in this church especially, the, the strategy part is, is we've got to build cultures. Ch church isn't just, you know, church is, church is a community of people, but it's not just a crowd that gathers. It, it's a family that forms around a culture that's established. And, and I'm telling you, you have to be intentional about the culture that you build. In your own life, you've got to be intentional. In corporate life, you've got to be intentional. What is the culture? In fact, half the, I, I mean, the first two years of my church, we were just like, we're not even trying to gather a crowd. We're just trying to build a culture. Like, if you want to be here with us and build a culture, then we'd love to have you. But all we're trying to do is build a culture. More than gather crowds, we want to build culture. Because you can gather crowds, but if you're not intentional about the culture that they're coming into, like, what are they actually coming into? And what's the culture attached to it? And what's the culture in your life? And are you intentional around that? Around this issue then, there really is, this is, the, this is what I felt the Lord put in my heart, it is, is that, it, it, again, I know there's multiple churches here, but let me just talk. Uh, um, when it comes to Ocean's Church, I, I, I really felt the Lord say that it was a community of courage. That, that the culture of courage, a community of courage, and there's got to be intentionality around that issue. One of the, I, I believe, I believe, and the Lord spoke to me years ago around this issue, that I think one of the greatest ministries in the body of Christ is the ministry of encouragement. And, and, and I'll tell you why this is important, because I, I believe church has to be a place where we have a call in our lives. One, one of the shifts that's happening in the body of Christ is, is that um, you know, the, the word call was always used for like, in, in pastoral, in ministry circles, it was like, this is when I felt called to the ministry. And what they're saying is, this is when I felt called to the full-time paid vocational behind the pulpit ministry. And so this is when I received my call for ministry. This is when I received my call. And the deeper I get in, the more I, the more I understand that, that everybody's called. Everybody's called. I understand what we're talking about, about ministry and all that, but everybody is called. The issue in this room, and hear me on this, the issue in this room is not whether you're called or not. 
Every believer has a call of God on their life to change the world, to make a difference, to lead, to influence their generation. That call rests on everybody. That call rests on everybody. But what separates people is not the call, but the response to the call. So, so there was a verse in Matthew that said, uh, you know, Jesus says this twice, but he, he says, many are called, but few are chosen. And man, that, that verse used to mess me up because I, I'd be in my 20s and I, I'm so passionate. I just so want to be used by God. I just so wanted to change the world. I wanted God to, and I just get before God and say, God, I don't even know what this means, but I don't want to be in the few category. I don't want to be in the mini category. I, I don't want to be like, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. I don't want to just be called. How do I get chosen? I want to be chosen. And it would just stress me out and and then, I, and then the context of this passage is actually it, it's talking about a story of a king who's inviting people to the wedding of his son. And, and, and the first wave of people have an excuse and they don't come. And the second wave of people, they don't come. And finally, by the third wave of people, they come. There's some other things involved in this story, but the, the, that third wave comes. And, and the Lord really spoke to me about this issue that that many are called and few are chosen because only a few raise their hand. What separates you is not the call. You have a call in your life. You want to be used by God. You want to make a difference. There's a call of God on your life. That is not, that is not a select few group of people. What's the select few group of people is the people that actually raise their hand for that. Because there is a real cost involved. We use this illustration about... Um, you know, one of the things I hate in life, hate, like with a deep passion, hate, is moving. I hate moving. I, we just moved a few months ago, and I, I want to move every 20 years. I don't want to move. I will stay in my house. I hate the whole process. I hate packing up. I hate, uh, I, I hate you know, I hate doing it on a Saturday in the middle of the summer. I hate loading things up. I hate, I hate, I hate moving. What I hate more than moving, though, is I hate helping other people move. <laughs> I hate that even more. Like, I have a deeper passion. I just hate that. And so the problem is, is you know this, especially in America, you know that, like, there is a line that is drawn in the sand of if you want to find out who your friends are, if you want to find out who your friends are, you ask them to move on, you ask them to move on, you know, a Saturday in the middle of August when it's 110 degrees outside. And so, so this is my dilemma every time. Like Chris, I don't know if I've ever helped Chris move, and we're close, right? But if Chris comes to a group of friends, and so I know this, you know, if Chris asks me and I say no, he knows, I, you know, listen, if you want to find out who your friends are, ask them to help you move. Whoever shows up, those are your friends, whoever didn't, they're fakers. They're lying to you the whole time. They don't really like you. So if you can imagine Chris comes into a group of guys, he's like, hey guys, uh, I'm moving on Saturday. Uh, can anybody help? And all of a sudden, all of us are like, oh my gosh, don't make eye contact with Chris. Don't make eye contact with Chris. Uh, uh, I'm like, there's something I'm doing on Saturday. I know it. Think, I've got to have an excuse. But there's one guy that raises his hand and say, yeah, I'll help you move, Chris. And Chris goes, all right, well, then I choose you. The way that you get chosen in the kingdom, and you got to hear me on this thing. The way that you get chosen in the kingdom is you just raise your hand. This is it. This is it. But there's a cost involved to raising your hand, but you raise your hand. You just raise your hand. 
And so Jesus comes in a room like this and he says, listen, I'm looking for people who will give themselves fully for my cause in Orange County, for my cause in Southern California, for my cause in a generation. I'm looking for people that will give themselves to that. You know, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, don't make eye contact with Jesus. Like there's something going on. But then there's a handful that say, yeah, uh, Jesus, I will. And he says, all right, well, then I choose you. See, this is, this is what I, I, I cannot tell you again and again. What separates people is not the call of God in your life. My call is not greater than your call. Mark's call is not greater than your call. Like, that's not the issue. It's just whether or not you raise your hand. It's, it's just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know this story, right, from Sunday school and from Veggie Tales. Man, praise the Lord for, <laughs> praise the Lord for the big chocolate bunny. Praise the Lord for Veggie Tales, some of the only Bible you ever got. Can we, just, can we just be honest about this? But, you know, it's, it's three guys who just decided to stand. Here's the, this isn't even my sermon. I, whatever, I don't know what time I have. But um, here's part of the issue is, is when we, we don't, we're not real strategic when it comes to long-term thinking. If I could really just encourage you, I believe God wants to pour out a spirit in Southern California. I believe he wants to do something in revival in Orange County. But, but that means that you've got to make some decisions right now. Because the fruit, the, the, the seeds that you plant right now become the fruit that you eat later. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made a decision. It was something like, I'd have to, it was something like 27 years before. You know when you read scripture, you always imagine that the, it's your age. Like we imagine Daniel in the lion's den. When I was 16, he was 16. And when I was 25, he was 25. And now that I'm 42, Daniel's 42 in that lion's den. Daniel wasn't 42. He was in his 60s. I think he may have even been in his 80s. Like Daniel was an old man when he got into that lion's den. He wasn't a young man. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not teenagers when they stood up. But, but the decision to stand, they made 27 years earlier when they decided not to eat the king's delicacies. 27 years earlier, they made a decision that manifested one day when thousands of Chaldeans and thousands of Babylonians, thousands of Israelites were all bowing down. These three guys stand up, not because they had to make a decision in that moment, not we're like, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we standing? Are we, is this happening right now? Is this going up? We're, we're gonna do it, let's stand up. No, they said, we made a decision 27 years ago planted a seed 27 years ago and it's just now beginning to bear fruit in our lives in a in a level in a nation saving capacity you got to pay attention to these type of stories because this isn't just a sunday school story this is a story of an entire nation turning to god because three guys decided to stand up because they made a decision 27 years earlier this is my big this this would be my encouragement to you You, you've got to make decisions right now knowing this that I'm going to make a decision right now I'm going to be strategic with my life right now I'm going to put myself in community I'm going to grow and get healthy I'm going to plant myself in the word I'm going to have a value for the presence of God and I'm going to plant myself here because because I've got to plant seeds right now because that's going to bear fruit and I'm not just talking about in six months We have lost the concept of growth and process in our society because we are not an agricultural society anymore. When Jesus taught, when the Bible was written, it was agricultural. They would totally understand you plant a seed and that seed takes some time. Doesn't happen overnight. Do you know that you plant a, you know, like an apple seed, you plant that seed, it's seven years later until fruit appears. 
Do you know, they're very, you know, some of the most expensive nuts you can buy? It's 20 years. They plant the tree, and 20 years later, it begins to grow nuts. Right? But, but we don't understand that because we, you know, the technological age, the information age, has completely eliminated the process in our life. So we don't understand that right now in my life, I better plant a seed. Because when I plant a seed, if I want to see revival, if I want to see God use my life, if I want to be a leader, if I want to make a difference, if I want to make an impact, I have to plant seeds now. Not, for, not, not just for tomorrow, but for years to come. And we've lost that thing because everything's so fast. We literally, we, do you understand that right now, uh, um, like, like you have a phone, maybe it's two years old, and we're like, and you're just in this mode of, somebody's like, hey, can you get me that number? You're like, all right. And it's taken like two seconds to load. You're like, one, one thousand, two. I'm really sorry. It's, it's like three years old. Come on. And I will go down and spend a thousand dollars. And they're like, well, what's this phone do? Loads a second faster. Instead of one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, it's now one, one thousand, two, one thousand. Like we, we've lost this process. You know, as preachers, you're constantly trying to, uh, uh, do you know what you have, uh, do you know what Amazon, they have it down here, I'm sure right now, Amazon Now. Chris actually told me this. He goes, it came to Sacramento and he's like, I tried it out, man. I just, one night I ordered ice cream and diapers and it just showed up an hour later. This is amazing. Like everything is like that. As preachers, we're constantly trying to figure out when you preach text of scripture, you want to put text of life to it. And so you're trying to think of illustrations, like what are stories of how to talk about how God works in your life? And you can't get up here and go, you know what God's process is like? Amazon now. Because it's not like Amazon now. It's like that fruit tree that you plant and it takes forever to finally grow. But there's got to be strategic. And the big lie that's been sold this generation the big lie is, is that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Don't think about tomorrow. All that matters is right now. It's all, the, all the music is like right now, and I'm going to date myself a little bit, but it's all like, you know, all the pit bull, all that stuff. It's like, hey, we're in the club, all the usher. It's horrible. All the, all the Post Malone. Post Malone and, uh, and Khalid? No? What's his name? I got to think of some new ones. That's what happens when you wing it. Um, but, but it's all about like, listen, all that matters is right now. Then they're like, we're in the club. Let's act like it's the last night of our life in the club. And I'm like, can I just say something real quick? If this is the last night of your life, please go home to your family. Go kiss your mom. Go hug some friends. Like, don't be in a club the last night of your life. But this is, this is a concept of like, all we have is right now. All that matters is right now. There's nothing else but right now. And I just want to raise my hand and say, there is something, there's something beyond right now. Because in 27 years, you're going to be in a place where you're going to be able to impact an entire nation if you made a decision and you sowed the right seeds. And so this is the intentionality. Yeah, I want to see revival in Orange County. And, and, and God's beginning to bring people. He's beginning to do all this type of stuff. But it's going to take some people who just say, I'm willing, I'm willing to commit myself to this thing. And, and, and I, I, I would tell you that, I mean, this is the simplicity of, of, of the message, which is I don't, I don't think it's real complex. I think if you're going to be healthy... If you're going to change the world, then you have to be very intentional about the, the 
You have to be very intentional about the soil you plant your life in. You have to be very intentional about that. Like, it, it, it's so interesting to me sometimes of like, I think sometimes we think we can put whatever ingredients we want in our life and we're going to get out the result we want. Like, I should, be able to, I should be able to put whatever I want in my life. I should be able to be pretty loose with how I live. I should be able to be pretty careless. I should be able to have a bad attitude. I should be able to never get in the word. I should never really be able to allow people into my life in community. I should never really have any type of secret life with the Lord. And then, but, I, but I want to change the world. And I want to be healthy and I want to make a difference and I want to be blessed. And I, want to, and I just, it doesn't work like that. This isn't a works-based thing, but what you put into your life really genuinely matters. <laughs> Years ago, my, um, when I was probably 15, I stayed home from school, and my mom makes these chocolate chip cookies that still to this day are like our favorite, they're what we want. And so she always made these chocolate chip cookies, and so I was bored at home, I was bored at home. And uh, so I called my mom and said, hey, I want to make those cookies. She said, yeah, it's fine, there's a, a recipe in the, you know, in the cupboard. So I went and got it, it wasn't real complicated, it said like, you know, two cups of flour and sugar and vanilla and eggs and chocolate chips. So I went and I found the flour and I found all the stuff. I mixed it together, put it in there, and then I put it in the oven and cooked it for however long. But when I opened the oven, I was confused because they didn't look like my mom's cookies. They were like, my mom's cookies are like, you know, light and fluffy and golden brown. These were like really flat, thin, crispy, dark brown, and really salty when I tasted it. And so my mom came home and I'm like, your recipe doesn't work. She's like, yes, it does. I've been doing it for years. I'm, I said, mom, I followed it to the T. Like I followed the recipe. It doesn't work. She said, well, show me what you did. I said, well, I went over and I, I, I got the flour and I took this bin of flour down. And she said, Banning, that's not flour. She said, that's baking soda. I, I literally had put two cups of baking soda instead of flour to make my cookies. This is the silliness sometimes, I think, when I'm in church and people are like, well, I just don't know why I'm seeing what I want to see. Why am I not seeing what I want to see and why is this not happening? And we like open the oven of our life and we're confused at what we're looking at. I'm like, well, what are you putting in your life? <laughs> like you can't, you can't just swap out whatever you want. You can't just swap ingredients. You can't just be like, well, I would like to not use flour. I would like to use baking soda. Well, you can want that all you want. But what comes out isn't what you're desiring. So what do I put in my life or what soils do I plant myself in? And, and, and again, it's not as complex as we make it. I'm telling you, there are three soils or three ingredients that have to be in your life. You've got to be in your life and you've got to be intentional about them. This is my whole thing. You have to be intentional about where you're planting yourself. You've got to be intentional about what you're putting in your life. Three soils. The Word of God, the presence of God, the family of God, community. I've got I've to have the Word of God in my life. I've got to be planted firmly in the Word of God. I've got to submit my life to the authority of Scripture. I have to have His Word in my life. I've got to have His presence in my life. I've got to plant myself in the presence of God. And then I've got to have community in my life. These are three things, though, that are constantly getting pulled from and we're just not very intentional with. You know, we love when we show up and we hear the word on Sunday. I mean, this is church. Church is these three things. 
I show up and I'm in community, I'm with family, I'm in his presence, I'm hearing the word. But it has to go beyond just what we're doing on Sundays in your own personal life. And so, so let, let me, I don't even know what to, well, um, it's your first conference. Um, might be your last conference after me. <laughs> we're going to call this last conference. Um, be intentional about putting these things in your life. I tell you, the older I get, the more I'm just like, dude, simplify, simplify, simplify. We don't have to be so complex. We don't have to constantly blow everybody away with this amazing, like, like here's the simplicity. Plant your life in the presence of God, plant your life in the word of God, and plant your life in the family of God. Everything else works itself out. It really does. Get those three things right. Get those three things worked out, and they're harder than you imagine. They're not, you know, it's not quite as easy. But go plant yourself there. The presence of God is, is a big one. There's, there has to be a shift, I think, in the body of Christ around this issue of his presence, that we have to value his presence above all else. This is the big Moses encountered this challenge when Moses, I mean, Moses is on the, the mountain with God 40 days and 40 nights. And, and then all of a sudden the Israelites, I mean, he's just in the presence of God. He's in the glory of God. And then all of a sudden the, the Israelites, they're frustrated because he's taken too long. And so they decide to make a golden calf and worship him, it. And all of a sudden God gets angry and he looks at Moses and he says, listen, I'm going to wipe out the entire people of Israel. I'm just going to start over with you. And Moses says, don't do that, God. And so he, so he relents. He says, all right, I won't, but I'm not going into the promised land. Again, these guys have been in slavery for 400 years, 400 years in slavery. They're now out. They're headed to the land of inheritance, the land flowing with milk and honey, their promised land that has been prophesied that they have been looking for for generations. They're headed there. And God says, all right, you can go in, but I'm not, my presence won't go with you. My presence won't go with you. An angel will. This is the big challenge because uh, Moses didn't hesitate at all. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't wrestle with this decision at all. He didn't wrestle at all. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot where you're wrestling. You're really trying to figure out a decision. Should I do this or should I do this? And I don't know and it's taken me forever to figure it out. And I just want to make this. Like Moses didn't even hesitate. He goes, oh, that's easy. He goes, I would rather be in the wilderness with your presence than in the promised land without your presence. That's not like that's I, I, I'll stay here. Like if you don't go with us, we're not going anywhere if you don't go with us, because the promised land is not the promised land without your presence. Like guaranteed victory over our enemies, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's not the promised land that I'm in pursuit of. It's not the promised land that I'm hungry for. It's not the promised land that sets me free. It's not the promised land that gives me hope and peace and healing. It's not the promised land. It's your presence that does that. And Moses, and, and I really believe, and I will, I will say this for this church in Southern California, this is a big one that has to be addressed around this issue. Will we be a people of his presence above all else? Will we see it? Will, will we say above all else, God, I love it. Thank you for giving me an angel. Thank you for guaranteed success. Thank you for the land flowing with milk and honey. But if your presence doesn't go, there's no way we're going. It's your presence that we long for. It's your presence. I mean, Moses had been ruined. He had been ruined for anything else. One of the reasons why you've got to solve this issue, and, and, and I'll, I'll talk about this thing, everything you need is found in the presence of God. We have nothing to give the world but the presence of God. I, I, I need you to hear this. With the presence of God separated from us, we are a social club. Moses knew this. He goes, what do I, what do I have? 
What do I have? What do I have if it's not your presence? Moses knew my presence doesn't change anybody's life. My presence doesn't set anybody free. My presence doesn't save anybody. My presence doesn't deliver anybody. It's your presence that does that. And one moment in your presence, one moment is more than a lifetime of work. More can happen in a moment. So, so, but we have, we have fooled ourselves thinking that we somehow have something to give the world other than his presence. I don't have anything else to give you. Like if your presence isn't with us, we have nothing else. I, listen, I am into organization. Hear me on this. I love programs. I love organization. I love all that type of stuff. But the, the world does not need a better run church. It's not it, better run churches don't change cities. The presence of God changes cities. And, and we've got to be a people that just get ruined for anything else. I mean, we're just ruined for anything else but the presence of God in our lives. Say, God, we just want you more than anything else. I, Moses, you know why it was so easy for Moses to make this decision? Because he'd been ruined. Ruined for anything else. He, he's like, God, I just spent 40 days and 40 nights sitting in the glory of God. And now you're telling me that you're going to just, that you're not going with us? Oh, easy. I don't even, I don't even think about this. Have you ever been in a spot where you, you've been ruined? You experience something and then it ruins you for everything else? This happened the first time I flew international first class. I'll never forget this. It was amazing. I'm like, I'm upgraded. This is happening. You go and you get in your little cubicle and it lays flat and they bring you this food and you got your little blanket and you got every movie you ever want on the screen. And it's a wonderful experience until the next time you go on the plane and have to sit where everybody else sits. And then they walk you by these cubicles too. You're walking by and you're like, oh, remember that? Oh, I so remember that. Oh. And then they sit you right where you can kind of still see in there. And the whole time I'm like, I hate these people. <laughs> these aren't my people. These are, I don't know what I'm doing here, but that's where I belong. I belong up there. I don't belong here. This happened to me the first time I sat, uh, uh, um, you know, if, you, if you're into basketball at all or NBA. I mean, the first time a friend called me and he said, hey, I've got courtside seats. You want to go courtside seats to the Kings game? I'm like, yeah. So we went to courtside. And they weren't just courtside they were the courtside seats. There's four seats in between the scores table and the bench. I was one of those. And the whole time, my, my feet are on, like chairs cushy. It leans back. They're coming up and taking your order. Like I missed half the game because the coach stood in front of me. I'm hearing all the conversations with the players. I'm just, this is it. And then I come back and I sit where I normally sit, which is just with everybody else. And the whole time, I didn't even enjoy the game didn't even enjoy the game. The whole time I was just looking at those seats going, oh, that's where I belong. I don't belong here. This is not, this is not my destiny. This is not what I was born for. I wasn't born for this. I was born for that right there. You have an experience and then it ruins you for everything else. I'm just praying that God just start ruining people where we come into church and we're like, like, 
if God's presence isn't, if His presence isn't here, what are we doing? Like, this isn't where, like, like that there'd be a hunger, and not, and it's not just someone from the pulpit, but I'm talking about people coming in saying, "Oh, you know what I'm hungry for today? I'm hungry for the presence of God. I didn't come to get entertained. I didn't get come to get patted on the back to get caught. I came because I want an encounter with the presence of God. I am hungry for the presence of God. I'm ruined for everything else." It's the presence of God. When the Bible says that nothing's impossible, he's talking about a people with his presence. Man, when you have the presence of God, when, when God is with you, when there's a hunger for that. I'm just telling you right now, we, 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 we have to go into the world with his presence. We have to go into this world with his, with his presence. Not with, not with a strategy. We need strategy, right? But, I'm, but the strategy I'm talking about is a strategy to get into the presence of God. And I love strategy. I love all that. But we just have to understand that, that when I go into the world, you know that verse where, where Jesus says, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I just want to get to the church to a place where they really begin to realize that, that maybe that situation I'm facing, it may be impossible with man. But I'm not with man. I'm with God. That may be impossible with man. That, that cancer may be impossible with man, but I'm not with man. I'm with God. That financial situation may be impossible with man, but I'm not with man. I'm with God. That marriage may be impossible with man, but I'm not with man. I'm with God. Because here is the truth. Who you show up with matters. Who you show up with matters. For years, I used to go speak in Colorado Springs at a conference with a dear friend of mine, Desperation Conference. It's this large youth conference. And Corey Asbury, who many of you would know Corey Asbury from Reckless Love, and, and uh, he's big time now, Corey is. And so we love Corey. And um, Corey is an anointed worship leader, gifted songwriter, and maybe one of the cockiest basketball players you'll ever meet. And just a talker a talker. So, so every time we'd go out there, he's on staff at this church we go to. So we go out there and he'd be like, Hey, Benny, let's get together a worship leaders, preachers game. <laughs> worship leaders, preachers. We'll play after your session, 11 o'clock at night in Colorado Springs, which is like a mile in the air. But anyways, so I'm like, all right, let's do it. He's just, he's talking like before the session, he's just yammering about what he's going to do and all this type of stuff. So we get there and we play. I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like somebody lit a fire inside of my chest. I'm like, I can't breathe. And the worship leaders killed us, killed us like every game they run. So I go home and they invite me back as they do. And so I say yes to coming back and sitting there thinking about coming back and thinking about the game that I'm going to have to play. <laughs> so I called a friend of mine. He uh, was a starting point guard for Cal, uh, for Berkeley. He was a starting point guard for, you know, Pac-12 Cal. And so I called Brandon. I said, Brandon, what's up, bro? What are you doing? He goes, ah, nothing. I said, hey, uh, I've been thinking about you. I'd love to have you come on a trip with me sometime. <laughs> he said, uh. He said, he said, man, I'd love that. I said, man, I'm going to be going to Colorado Springs. God's doing good stuff in Colorado Springs. He's moving and he's touching a generation in Colorado Springs. He goes, man, I'd love that. That'd be great. I said, all right, man, hey, just bring your shoes just in case. And uh, I'm not making this up right now. I'm not making this up. And so I totally show up with my armor bearer. <laughs> 
a ministry assistant, Brandon. And we rolled out there. And so we went, <laughs> we went that night and played. Didn't lose a game. <laughs> like, it was like, and, and the whole game, I think maybe we lost one game, like the last, just got chucked a three to win by one. But like, and the whole game, it was, I didn't even, I don't think I scored a point. I'm like, hey, Brandon, there you go, bud. Hey, Brandon, go shoot that three. Hey, Brandon, go to the hole, you know? Like, hey, Brandon. Though I was just, all I did was just, I just passed the ball to Brandon. I'm not kidding right now. We run the court. And then I'm like, what's up, Corey? What's up? It matters who you show up with. It matters who you show up with. We want to go into the world with just ourselves and like, hey, here we are. And like, no, no, it matters who you show up with. We're, we're, it may be impossible. This is the whole thing. Orange County is impossible with man. I mean, do you hear me on this? The dreams... And the Francis Hart is impossible. This is a pipe dream. But I'm not with man. I'm with God. I'm not with man. I'm with God. I'm not showing up. I'm not showing up to this thing on my own. I got Brandon. And all I'm doing is passing the ball. <laughs> there you go. But this is from just a hunger for the presence of God. He says, God, we just desire your presence above all else. We don't want to show up anywhere without you. We, don't, we want you to show up and change our lives. I think, uh, I think what, what Orange County needs is, is freedom as well. Like, again, it, it's so fascinating. Like, we think of people in bondage in Africa or people in bondage in these little villages in, in Nepal or in the Himalayas. But, but, man, I'm telling you, there's bondage in people's lives they can't get set free from. They can't get set free from it. It's the presence of God that sets people free. We have a phrase in our own, in our own lives. We have a phrase of always keeping one foot in water. We always keep one foot in water. And that phrase came from, I, I met the son of a Vietnam-era Navy SEAL. So his dad was a SEAL in the Vietnam era. And he said, the SEALs have a phrase, always keep one foot in water. And, uh, and the reason that is, is because, let me read this quote to you. There's a guy, there's something that sets apart SEALs from other special operation forces. Let me just read this quote. The acronym, this is from a guy named David Boer, America's Special Forces. The acronym SEAL identifies the environments in which they operate, sea, air, land. SEALs are first and foremost warriors who come from the sea and return to its silent darkness when their work is done. This distinction alone sets them apart from all other spe special operation forces. Then listen to this. Though one of nature's harshest environments, the water is a safe haven for SEALs. It is where they are most comfortable and confident. What separates SEALs from other special operation forces is their ability to thrive in water. So, so because of that, whenever they enter into um, a field of war, whenever they are behind the enemy's lines, whenever they're engaged, they always are aware of water, where water is. They're always aware of where water is because if they get in trouble, they retreat to water. Because if, if, I'm, if I'm in a firefight here and I'm in trouble, 
I may be in trouble here. But if I can retreat to water, it, it may have been a level playing field here, but it's no longer a level playing field here. Because the enemy can't actually follow me into water. Because, because water is, is, is one of nature's harshest environments, unless you're a seal. See, in, in water, there are things that, that, that thrive, hope, courage, freedom, life, love, accept it. There's things in the presence of God that grow and thrive, but simultaneously there's things in the presence, there's things in the presence of God that get oxygen, and there's things in the presence of God that are starved of oxygen. So all of a sudden, I'm in bondage, but when I get into the presence of God, bondage can't can't follow me into the presence of God. It's, it's, it's suffocated in the presence of God and freedom becomes alive. I might, I might be discouraged here, but if I can get into the presence of God, discouragement dies and courage rises. I may feel hopeless here. I may not know who I am here. I may not have an identity here. I may be lost, but when I get into the presence of God, it is the presence, it's, it's in the presence of God. So as a people, we always have to have one foot in the water. And what, what separates us, I'm telling you, is this issue. It is this issue. It is, is that I'm bombarded by lies. I'm bombarded by lies about who I am and, 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 and oppression and, and bondage and sickness. And, and, but but, but when in the presence of God, which is available and accessible to me at all times because of Jesus... When I get in the presence of God, all of a sudden lies begin to die in truth. All of a sudden, acceptance and love. And so we want to be a people that bring, we want to be a people that, that bring an encounter with the presence of God to a world that's dying, but we ourselves don't actually stay in the presence, but we ourselves don't actually hunger for that, but we ourselves don't actually intentionally say this is our greatest value, that, that, that we're going to always keep one foot in water in our own personal life. What am I inviting people into? All I can do is say, hey, come with me and let's get into the presence of God. This is like, like come with me. Let me introduce you to Jesus and let me bring you into the presence of a father. And that's why when we can cultivate, one of the best testimonies we got for four years of our church has been four years, is people that say, I don't know what it is, but I come in and I cry the entire service. I, uh, multiple women have told me, they're like, I don't even know if I should wear makeup now on Sundays. It's just, it's ruined. I had a lady come up to me and says, I know I look goth, but I'm not goth. I have been crying the entire service. And I, and I, and I don't know why, but I'm just, I just can't stop crying. Men who come in and like, I don't know what this is, but I, I'm just crying. And all of a sudden, people are being set free. People are encountering the love of God. People are finding they have no identity. They're completely lost. But all of a sudden, they come into an environment of a group of people who value his presence above all else who radically love one another, who believe in one another, who are in community, who are in family, but love his presence. And people may not even know what it is. And this has nothing to do with four-hour services or one-hour services. For, for me, it's a culture issue. It, it, it has less to do with, um, again, there's different styles, and there's different this, and there, all that's fine. But do I have a value for it? And have we intentionally built a culture around it in our churches? In our churches. We just, because this is what we're bringing people into. 
And, and I will just tell you that this is, this is what, what I feel. Orange County, Southern California, this is the mandate on this church that we're just going to be a people of His presence. And we're going to be intentional about it. We're going to be deliberate about it. We're going to ourselves make sure we retreat to water. I'm not going to get too far out of water and sitting over here. I'm, no, I'm going to go get into water. I want you to stand up with me tonight. We're just going to take some time and just worship tonight. Can you just begin, even right now, I don't know what background you come from, but can you just begin to lift your hands in this place? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.